We are so glad that you joined us today. God wants to do so much in you and through you, and we would love to hear about it. Would you send us an email at shannon at hectorfirst.com to tell us your story? You can also go online and give to this ministry by going to hectorfirst.com and clicking the Give tab. Thank you for joining us today, and we hope that you enjoy the message. We're very blessed uh, here at HFA with uh, the best pastors in the world. I am a little biased, but you should be too because we do have the best. So, hey, um, I've decided, I know I told my seniors that we were going to honor you now, but I've decided on reflection over the past couple of Senior Sundays, I never have enough time to preach what I want to preach, so I'm going to preach first (laughs) so that you have to listen to me, and then we're going to honor you guys. Is that okay with you? That's what I was going to do it anyway, whether you said it was okay or not, So, because um, I approved it with Pastor Shannon, so that's what matters. Um, I, um, I don't necessarily have a sermon today, and that sounds really weird because I just said I was about to preach. Uh, what I mean by that is if I were to submit this in like Bible college to be graded as an outline for a sermon, uh, I'd probably fail because I don't have a three-point sermon. It's not an outline perfectly executed what you would consider a sermon, but it's what God laid on my heart, and that's really all that matters, and that's all I have to offer you is what God's told me to tell you. So uh, we're going to dive in a little bit here. I'm going to talk to you very briefly, and by my students know when I say briefly, I probably, I'm very, I get long-winded when I say that. That means nothing. Uh, I want to talk to you about what I wish I knew when I was you. Uh, I'm not just talking to, to my students here. This is also alternate title, Blessings I'm Still Learning. Uh, also alternate to the alternate title, Lessons My Parents Taught Me But I Didn't Listen When I Was a Kid. Also alternate title, Lessons My Youth Pastors and Youth Leaders Told Me uh, But I Did Not Retain uh, When I Was in, uh, a Teenager. Uh, by the way, students, I will give you points if you take notes. I'm just throwing, throwing that out there. Um, <laughs> note takers are world changers, am I right? Amen. Amen, Mackenzie. <laughs> uh, number one, the first thing I want you to remember Uh, is the most important voice in your life is the voice of God. You need to know it. You got to know the voice of God. Uh, John 10, this is Jesus talking here. Uh, He's uh, he's talking to the Jews. The Jews are coming up to to Jesus and are like, would you just be straight with us? Can you tell us yes or no? Are you the Messiah? Are you not the Messiah? And Jesus straight up tells him, I've been telling you, but you haven't been listening. I've told you but you have completely tuned me out. You're not listening to me. And this is what he says right here, John 10, verse 27. He says, my sheep listen to my voice. I know them, and they follow me. Look, it doesn't just do good to listen to the voice of God if you're not going to follow the voice of God. James tells us, James chapter 1 says, don't just be hearers of the word, but also be doers of the word. And he goes on to talk about if you're going to listen to the word of God and you're not going to obey the word of God, it's like you're looking in the mirror and then you go on and you forget what you look like. It's one thing to hear the voice of God. That's great when you can recognize the voice of God, but it means nothing if you're not going to follow the voice of God. It's, it, good intentions are they're great, but if you have no follow through, I, I could have really great intentions about about going on a diet or eating less junk food. But if I don't follow through with that, nothing's going to change. I can have great intentions about being a a better friend or a better person, but if I still treat people like garbage because I don't follow through, it's just empty words. 
You got to know the voice of God, and you got to follow the voice of God. Number two, God can do more with your obedience than you can in your own knowledge. Luke chapter 5, we see the story of Peter. This is when Jesus comes to Peter, and he's calling Peter to, uh, 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 to come and be a disciple. And it says that, that it goes on, it's talking about Jesus, is, is sees Peter in the boat, and he sees, uh, uh, he's about to go out, he's got to teach to the crowds. This is what it says in chapter, four, or chapter 5, verse 4. When Jesus had finished speaking, he said to Simon, Peter, put your boat deep into the water and let down your nets for a catch. And Simon said, Master, we've worked hard all night, haven't caught anything, but because you say so, I'll let down the nets. And when they'd done so, they caught such a large number of fish that their nets began to break. Look, God runs an upside-down kingdom, okay? He doesn't do things like we do things. He doesn't, he doesn't, we, we cannot possibly understand the vast knowledge of our God, all right? He uses our weeks to, to display his strengths. He uses the, the weak to defeat the strong. He uses the humble to, to humble the pride, prideful. He does, this, he does things upside down. And despite any knowledge that I may have, that means nothing if I'm not going to be obedient to the voice of God. He could, God can do so much more through my yes than I could do in my own power. God can do so much more through your willingness to be used by God than you can with any amount of education. You could be the smartest person in the world, but if you don't allow God to use you and you're not willing to say yes and be obedient no matter what he's asking you to do, God's going to do more through your yes and he's going to do more through your obedience and your willingness to be used by God than you can do in your own strength. Look at the, 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 the boy in the Bible who offered his, his lunch to Jesus. He had five loaves, of bread, five loaves of bread and two fish, not much. This guy, this kid probably could have fed him and his, his friend, could have, could have shared his meal. But when he gave it to Jesus, when he gave what he had to Jesus, a multitude was fed. When you offer what you have, not what I have, not what anybody else has, when you offer what you have to the Lord to be used, he's going to use you exponentially more than you could ever imagine, more than you could ever do on your own. In my own strength, I might, maybe, could, could, could talk to one person. I don't like getting on, I don't like microphones. They scare, I mess my words up. I've already done it like four times. They scare me. This is not my comfort zone. But when I say yes to Jesus, he can do more through my obedience than I ever could in my own comfort zone. He could do more through your willingness to give what you have, to offer what you have, no matter how small, no matter how bleak you think it may be, no matter how insignificant. God can do more with what you offer him than what you hold on to for yourself. God can do more through your obedience than you can in your own knowledge and your own strength. Give your yes to Jesus. Give your all to Jesus. Number three. God speaks through his word. You know his word, you know his voice. If someone speaks, listen, oh, if someone speaks something over you or tries to declare something over your life that does not line up with the word of God, throw it out. If it's not the word of God, it's not truth. Look, uh, I could be the most eloquent, eloquent sp speaker, obviously I'm not, <laughs> the most beautiful singer, the, the best communicator, the most knowledgeable theologian. I could stand up here and have the biggest words that I know, which I don't know a lot of them. Uh, I use excited a lot. Um, I could stand up here and just give you the best, most articulated, outlined, typed up 
sermon or message that I could give you. But if it doesn't, if I don't offer you the word of God, and if it doesn't want line up with the word of God, it means nothing. The word of God, this right here, is all I have to offer you. It's all that I could ever offer you. It's all that the, the only truth that you need needs to line up with the word of God. If it doesn't line up with what the word of God says, it's not truth. If it doesn't line up with God's heart, it's not truth. Look, Hebrews 4.12 says us that this right here is alive and active and sharper than any double-edged sword. And it, it cuts even through dividing soul and spirit. And then 2 Timothy tells us that it's God breathed. It's the literal breath, the inspiration of God. I don't know about you, but if the God of all creation has given me something, a tool that is the literal breath, his spirit inspired, I'm going to use that every chance that I get. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to cherish that. I'm going to let that be the, the foundation for which I rule everything. I'm going to let that be the foundation for how I view people. I'm going to let that be the foundation for how I view myself. If how you view someone else, if how you view yourself is not congruent with what the word of God says, you're wrong. If what you think about someone else is not line up with what the word of God says about that person, being that they are created in the image of Christ. If how you treat that person does not line up with what the word of God says about them, you are wrong. There's no gray area there. There's no gray area on the absolute truth of the word of God. If you disagree with the word of God, you're wrong. <laughs> Look, I, I don't, if you don't give the word of God, I, I've given you nothing. If you believe something, Look, how dare we try to go toe-in-toe with the creator of the universe? Like, how can I, small little me, try to tell God that he's wrong and how, how he created or what he thinks about someone just because of the color of their skin or just because of they, they believe different? How dare I try to tell God what I should think or what other people should think about someone he created? about someone that he breathed his breath into, just like he did for me, about someone he died for, just like he died for you. If you disagree with the word of God, God's not wrong. You're wrong. Number four, uh, feelings are not equivalent to truth. We live in a, I'm a, we live in a follow your heart, do what makes you happy society, but that is the complete opposite of the Bible. Society tells you follow your heart, but the Bible tells us in 1 Corinthians that uh, the, the heart is, I'm sorry, not 1 Corinthians, Proverbs, that the heart, Jeremiah, that the heart is wicked and deceitful above all things. Uh, society tells you do what makes you happy. 1 Corinthians says do everything to the glory of God. Society's going to tell you to, to, to let your heart be the ruler of all, but Proverbs says to guard your heart. Look, don't follow your heart. You've got to guard your heart. Don't follow your feelings. Guard your feelings. These days we treat our feelings like God's. Little G gods, because our feelings are the things that dictate everything that we do. Our feelings are the things that dictate how we respond. Our feelings are the things that dictate how we, how we, who we date or how we, how we raise or treat somebody. Our feelings are the things that run our life. And that is the opposite. That is letting your feelings be a little G God in your life. A God is something, a God, someone that, that you serve and you follow is something that dictates everything that you do. And if that something is not the only God, the God of all of heaven, and it's your feelings, we've gotten some priorities mixed up. Your feelings are not equivalent to truth. 
Our feelings often dictate how we, how we treat people. Feelings are great indicators. They can be great, great, like, notifications, like, oh, something's wrong here. Something's not right. I know that I, I don't feel right about this. You can feel something discerning in your spirit. They're great indicators, but our, we were never meant to be navigated or led by our feelings. You are not what you feel, and I'll get on that in a little bit more. God is not how you feel that he is. God is not so, mo- so small that our perceptions of him are equivalent to the truth. God is not so small that even in our finite minds, that the, great, the greatness that we could ever imagine, God is so much more great than that. And God is not so small that our offenses of him are equivalent to the truth about him. Look, Isaiah tells us in, that, that God holds the entire universe in the span of his hand between his thumb and his pinky. Everything that was ever created, your God holds right here. Everything that was ever breathed into existence He holds right here. And not only that, but he's the one who breathed it into existence. The same God that said, let there be light, and then when there was nothing, light appeared. The same God who bent down and molded dust into man and breathed his breath inside of their lungs. How how can we say that we are, 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 our feelings or our thoughts about God are equivalent to the truth? We can never comprehend the, the vastness, the multitude of how big God is. Psalm 77, 14, what God is great like our God. You are the God who works wonders. You have made known your might among the peoples. Psalm 95, for the Lord is the great God, the great king above all gods. In his hands are the depths of the earth. The mountain peaks belong to him. The sea is his, he is, for he made it and his hands formed the dry land. Psalm 103, Praise the Lord, O my soul, all my inmost being. Praise his holy name. Praise the Lord and forget not all his benefits. Praise the Lord, you heavenly hosts, all his servants who uh, dwell, do his will, and his servants. Uh, praise the Lord, all his works, everything in this dominion. Praise the Lord. Look, sometimes, sometimes you got to remind yourself, like we just sang, you got to remind your soul to bless the Lord. you got to remind yourself, the, the, the feelings inside of you, that they don't rule you, and that no matter what's going on in your life, you have made up your mind that you are going to bless the Lord at all times. Sometimes you got to pull yourself up and say, you know what, Mackenzie? Bless the Lord. Praise the Lord. I don't care what's going on today. I don't care what, what the doctor report has told me. I don't care what the, my finances look like today. I'm going to bless the Lord with everything that I have because he is the God who deserves every ounce of praise that I could ever give. My feelings about God do not equal the truth. He is so much bigger than I could ever imagine. Number five. Knowing who you are starts with knowing whose you are. You want to know who you are, you, you got to find out who God is. you got to find out what the Word of God says about you. The most sustainable foundation you could ever build is on the rock of ages. Psalm 61, from the ends of the earth I call to you. I call as my heart grows faint. Lead me to the rock that is higher than, that's my favorite verse. Lead me to the rock that's higher than I. Some, another translation says, when my heart is overwhelmed, lead me to the rock. There's absolutely nothing, absolutely nothing that will fulfill you like a life lived with Christ as your foundation. There there is no no person, no human, no event, no substance, no words of affirmation, anything 
Nothing is going to fulfill you like Christ can fulfill you. When you build your life on Jesus, no matter what happens, you can't fail. When you build your life on Jesus, you can, you're gonna, you can stand assured that you are steadfast because God is steadfast. Because you're holding on to, to, to the God that never changes. Because you're holding on to the God that never moves. Because you're holding on to the God that, that knows your future before you even get there. Because you're holding on to the God that, that has redeemed your past for his good. When you are standing firm on Christ as your foundation, everything else that, that, may, that, that may come against you, the, the, the storms, the things that life may throw at you, they're not going to shake you because not, God's not going to be shaken. When you build your life on things that are unsustainable, when that thing fails, everything's going to crumble. You build your life on a career. That's your whole foundation. Something happens in your career. You don't know who you are. You don't know. You have nothing to stand on. When I was in college at UCA, I, was, I preached on this a little bit on Wednesday, and I was telling them so I had some friends that were on staff with Chi Alpha, which is a, the campus ministry. And uh, I had some, some friends that they led discipleship groups with sports teams, like the basketball team, football team. And they, they would tell me so many stories about athletes that have spent their entire life wrapped up in their sport. Everything that they did was to get to where they were. Everything that, who, who they were was wrapped up in the sport that they played. And there was this one guy in particular who was on the basketball team, and he was set to be a really, like, a huge star. He was going to spend one year at UCA and then go off to a bigger school. I can't remember his name. Uh, uh, but he, his, that first year he was at UCA, he hurt his knee. It blew out, couldn't play, couldn't play basketball anymore. And he had everything crumbled for him because the foundation that he had the thing that he had built everything his life on had just been ripped away because it wasn't sustainable. But when you build your life on Jesus, when you build your foundation on, when you build your family on Jesus, when you raise up your kids with a foundation on Jesus, when you build your career and where you're going to go based on the foundation of Christ, no matter what happens, you can stand solid and stand secure because God's not going to change, so your foundation's not going to change. God's got you. You're going to stand on the solid rock of Christ. You're good. You're, you're, you're set. There is there's nothing that the, the enemy could throw your way that could shake you. It might knock you down a little bit, but you're going to stand, stand firm on the, the, the rock that, that doesn't move and the rock that doesn't change. Man, if I, could, if I could go, I would not go back if I could because I don't want to be a teenager again. <laughs> I don't envy y'all. I love you guys, and I feel for you, and I pray for you. I don't envy teenagers. But if I could go back and talk to teenage McKenzie, I think the, the first thing that I would tell her is that I would be sure that her foundation was not in what other people thought about her. Her foundation was on Jesus. Because it doesn't, look, it does not matter what anybody says to me or about me when I know what the Word of God says. When my foundation is on the truth of the Word of God, somebody could speak vile things over me. But I know the truth because I'm standing on the truth and the rock and I'm standing on the foundation that I've built on Christ. When your identity and you are wrapped up in what other people think rather than what the God who created you thinks, that is a dangerous game to play. That is a dangerous place to be. Because other people's opinions, they don't matter. 
What matters is what God says. What matters is what God has said about you, and he has spoken about you. Let me tell you some of the things God said about you. He said, Psalm 139, that you are fearfully and wonderfully made, that you were knit together in your mother's womb. John 3, 16, you are loved by God so much that he sent his son for you. 1 Peter 2, 9, you are chosen by God, a royal priesthood. 1 Corinthians 3.16, you are God's temple. Treat your body with respect because you house the Holy Spirit. Number Galatians 4.7, you're an heir of God. Genesis 1.27 says that you are created in the very likeness of God. You are the very image of God. John 1.12, you are a child of God. 2 Corinthians 5.17, you're a new creation in Christ. If you are in Christ, the old you has gone and the enemy has no say over what the past you did because you are created new in Christ. John 15, 15, you're a friend of God's. Isaiah 62, 3, you are God's delight. Philippians 3, 20, you are a citizen of heaven. You don't belong to this world. You belong to somewhere else. Romans 8, 1, you are not condemned. There's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Ephesians 2, 10, you are Christ's masterpiece. 1 John 4, 4, you're an overcomer. 1 Peter 2, 24, you're healed. John 8, 36, you're not just free, but you're free indeed. 2 Corinthians 5.21, you are the very righteousness of God. Colossians 1.13, you are delivered by Christ. Romans 8.37, you are more than conquerors. No matter what the enemy throws your way, you can stand solid on the rock because you are a conqueror through Christ Jesus. Romans 5.1, you are made right with God. And Ephesians 1.17, you have been redeemed by the God who is able to redeem. If you, what you think about yourself doesn't line up with what that says, toss it out. Who you are is strictly defined in whose you are, and you are a child of the king. You are created in Christ Jesus to do good works. That's who you are. No matter what anybody may have spoken over your life, the, the, the curse of the enemy or anything that the enemy may have made you think in your mind or any ill-intended person may have spoken over you, that has no hold over you because who you are is strictly lined up and defined by what the word of God tells you. And if it doesn't line up with the word of God, it's not truth. There's no if, and, or buts about it. It's not truth. The word of God is the only truth and the only thing that you base your identity on. Last one, number six. Goodness is a God thing. Look, the only person in heaven or earth that has the authority to call something good is God. Why? Because he's God and because he's good. Look, Satan in John 8, Jesus calls him the father of all lies. He also says in John 10 that his sole intent is to steal, kill, and destroy. The craftiest deceiver of all, he's Satan, that, that's, he, he's, the, he's in, incapable of speaking truth. He can get you to question anything if you're not grounded in the truth of God's word. He's sneaky, but his method is still the same. From the very beginning, his tactic has always been, number one, firstly, to twist and to manipulate the words of God. He said it in the, in the Garden of Eden. Jesus, or God told Adam and Eve, don't eat from that tree. It's going to make you, it's, surely you're going to die. It's bad. What did Satan say? Did God really say are you sure? Did God really say that, that you were going to die? I don't think that's what he really said. If you look at it this way, you might could interpret it a little different. 
If you look at it this way, some people might think that this means that. Twisting the word of God. This goes, it look, this goes back to knowing the voice and the word of God. Does it line up with God's word? If you, if you do not know for yourself what the word of God says, some sheep in wolf's clothing are going to come and try to make you believe something that is a twisted version of the word of God. You have to know what the truth of the word of God says. Tactic of the enemy has always been, firstly, to twist the word of God. Second, to make what is deadly look like it's fruitful. The enticement of sin is that it looks good. The, 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 the thing about that is compelling about sin is that it looks desirable. Genesis chapter 3, in the fall of, uh, of man, when, when Eve was tempted, this is what she says. It says, when the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was evil and gross. When the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye and also desirable for gaining wisdom, then she took some and ate some. It would be a lot easier to resist temptation if it was wrapped up for what it truly was. If pornography came wrapped up in the destruction of your marriage and the destruction of the way you view people and the, the, the distortion of, of God's creation, it would not be as enticing. If every sin that, that made any, any temptation came your way was wrapped up and looked exactly for where, like it would lead to death, because sin leads to death, Romans tells us that, it would not be as tempting. But the enticement of sin is that it looks good. It sounds good. It seems pleasing. It's interesting to me that Eve saw good things in the very thing that God said would kill her. But here's the thing. It didn't matter how good the tree looked. It didn't matter how desirable the fruit on the tree looked. It didn't matter how, how pleasing it was to the eye. The only thing that matters is what God said about it. We live in a culture that wants to make you believe that you have a right to decide what goodness is. A culture that judges goodness off of human understanding with no regard to God's word. If it's fun, it must be good. If it's pleasurable, it must be good. If it seems like love, love's good, must be good. If it doesn't harm anyone, must be good. But the most important question is one that we're not even asking. Does it harm the heart of God? Does it grieve the heart of God? If it grieves God's heart, it can't be good. If it goes against God's words, it can't be good. The enemy has used culture to twist the word of God and mask the enemy and, and masking uh, the appearance of evil with things that look pleasing to the eye. He's made the, the love of the words of God appear as intolerance and bigotry. He's made the, the, the knowing truth and standing on truth look like hate. He's made knowing what God says about what goodness is seem like you're being intolerant. Look, there's a, there's a balance between truth and grace. You got to have truth, but you got to have grace with it as well. All truth is hateful. All grace is not God's word. Truth and grace. Look, I don't, I don't care what media tells you. See, it, uh, whatever... News station, I don't know. I was about to give abbreviations, but I don't know news stations. I don't care what Disney Channel tells you. I don't care what Netflix shows. I don't care anything. The White House, Congress, well, I don't care what Congress defines as good. If it grieves the heart of God, 
it can't be good. If it's contrary to the word of God, if it goes against the confines of how God created you or God created something or how God created marriage, it cannot be good. If it's not good, it's not God. And if it's not God, it's from the enemy. And if it's from the enemy, its intent is to steal, kill, and destroy. If it's not God, if it's not in the word of God, if it doesn't line up with the word of God, listen to me. I don't care what any TikTok theologian tells you. When they twist the word of God, how good they sound. If it's not the word of God, if it's not congruent to what God's word says, it's not good. It's not good for your soul. If it grieves the heart of God, if it grieves what God wants for you, it's not good. And its intent is to still kill and destroy to steal your your eternity in heaven, to kill your purpose, to destroy the plans that God has for you. If it's not good, if it's not God, it can't be good. Look, adults in the room, parents, grandparents, anyone who loves and cares about these students, whether you have a student or not, whether you have a a young child, an older kid, whether you just care about teenagers we have a responsibility there's a very real enemy with a very real plan to destroy the lives of these young people there's a very real enemy that makes deadly things look fruitful there's a very real enemy that twists God's word to seem intolerant and he's on full I believe he's in full panic mode right now because he knows his time's running out And he's working hard to attack this generation. If you don't believe that the enemy is working overtime to attack our young people, turn on your TV. Open up social media. Get on one of their Snapchats and see what's what's being thrown in their face. Look at the, the media that is targeted for them. The Netflix shows that are geared towards young people. You don't think that the enemy is after your kids? Come talk to me. There is an enemy, the destroyer of of their souls. Sounds dramatic, but that's what the word of God says. I believe just as Esther was placed where she was for such a time as this, to save the lives of her people, there is not a student that has been placed or born in this time or is sitting right here that is here by accident. They're here to set the standard, fight fight the current, and hear and follow the voice of God. But we have a responsibility to them to do our best to help equip them. To raise them up. To train them in the word of God. Look, if, if, if your kids don't see you and don't see the hunger and love for you have for the word of God, they're not going to want to hunger for the word of God. We have a responsibility to believe in them. To encourage them. To intercede for them. Can I just, youth pastor, speak real quick? If you don't have something encouraging or life-building to say to one of these students, please don't say it. Speak life. Speak life. There's blessings and curse. Death and life reside in your tongue. And if all you're going to do is bring down this generation and speak curse over them, please don't talk to them. And I say that with the most love that I have in my heart. Speak life. Encourage them. Build them up. Speak the word of God over them. 
Don't tell them how doom and despair and how, how awful their generation. That's bold-faced lie. Speak truth. Speak life. Speak blessings over your, your kids, over your teenagers. Parents, if you don't pray with your kids before you leave, they leave in the morning, start praying with your kids. Speak life and, and speak the word of God over them before they start their day. We have a responsibility to go to spiritual war for them, to stand in the gap and let Satan know he can't have our kids. He can't have our family. You have to decide for yourself that you're going to be all in so that you don't become a stumbling block for these teenagers. The adults in the room, I'm going to set a challenge before you today. Let today be the day that you decide that you're going to be all in for the sake of this generation. Let today be the day that you're going to decide that you're going to do whatever it takes to instill in them a love for the things of God. Let today be the day that you're going to get rid of and set aside anything that may grieve the heart of God in your own life. So it's not to become a stumbling block for these kids. What you do in moderation, your kids are going to do in excess. What you kind of tolerate, if you don't have a, a, a desire and a love for the house of God, your kids aren't going to have a desire and a love for the house of God. It starts with you, you building the foundation, you setting the standard. Let today be the day you stand in the gap, you fight, you pray, you encourage, you speak life, you invest, you disciple, you build up. Let today be the day that you become intentional with what you say and how you react and the words that you speak and the prayers that you pray and the things of the word of God that you say over these students. Students, let today be the day that you no longer sit on the fence between following Jesus and not obeying your words. Jesus says, if you love me, you're going to obey my commandments. A lot of times we say we love Jesus, but we don't follow him, so it's just empty words. Let today be the, deci the deciding day that you're all in. Let today be the day you, you begin to desire the things of God more than the things of the world. Let today be the day you seek first the kingdom of God. Let today be the day you set aside your wants for the sake of seeking God. Let today be the day you decide to let go of things that may be holding you back from being completely committed. Let today be the day where you decide the enemy no longer has a hold on what you define as good. Let today be the day that you uh, have, a, have a, a, a change of heart. That you decide that your standard is going to be the word of God. Let today be the day that you're going to know the voice, decide to know the voice of God. And not just know the voice of God, to follow the voice of God. To know the word of God. To know whose you are. To not define truth by your feelings. To not define goodness by the standard of the world, but by the standard of God's word. Today can be a day of change for you. In your heart, and your family, parents, in, in your homes. If you haven't set that standard, today is a great day to start. If you haven't built that foundation, no better time to start than now. If you haven't instilled a love for the Word of God, start now. You don't, you, you don't personally read your Bible, start now. It's a great day to start. If you guys could stand with me really quick. I'm going to ask you to do something just a, a little bit different. Uh, there's no music playing. You're just there by yourself in your seats. I'm going to ask you on your own to ask God to help you 
adults help you to invest in these teenagers, to help you instill the word for the love of God, to help you instill a love for the house of God. Students, I'm going to ask you to, to, to search your heart, to ask God to help you be all in. Ask, ask God to help you hear the voice of God. If you ask him, he's going to help you. He's going to give you opportunities to listen and to obey. I'm going to pray over you, and while I'm praying, will you pray for you? Will you pray for your families? Will you pray for your kids? Will you pray for your teenagers? If you don't have a teenager here, pick one out of the crowd and pray for them. Lord, I thank you. God, I thank you for your word. God, I thank you that you are calling us to something greater. God, I thank you that you are, you are setting the standard. God, you are raising up a generation that's going to set the standard in life, love, and purity. God, I thank you that you have placed us where we are, the, the adults in these teenagers' life, with the, the ability and the responsibility to speak life, to speak encouragement, to speak the word of God. Lord, I pray that we would not take that lightly. God, would we see these teenagers through the eyes of your potential, God, and see them not as, as, as the world sees them, but to see them as Gideons, God, to see them as Davids, as Daniels that are going to be different, that are going to set the stage, they're going to set the standard. Would you help us to know the voice of God? Would you help us to know the word of God? Would you help us to know who we are? Would you help us to know truth and to set our life as the foundation on your word? God, would you help us as adults, God, the, 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 the adults in these kids' lives, these teenagers' lives, God, help us, God, to have a love for the word of God, to instill in our lives first so that we can instill in them as well. Help us to raise them up, to build them up, to invest, to disciple, to encourage. Let the only things that come out of our, our mouths be life-giving. Let the only thing that we speak over these students be things of encouragement and of the word of God. God, would you speak to us today? Would you help today be a day where we decide to be different? Help today be the day where we decide to set aside the things of the world and to press in towards you. We love you, Jesus. In your name we pray.